Thank you for that, Gabriel. Oh, holy night. One of the Christmas favorites as it reminds us of that night that Jesus was born. Well, the Christmas season is finally upon us. It's probably for some not really thinking finally upon us because the year has just flown by. But we're there. We're into the Christmas season and we can already hear and see the evidences of it all around. You didn't have to come to church this morning to hear and see the evidence of it. You could go to any of the stores or just even about town and you're already hearing and seeing the evidence of it everywhere. But I'm thankful and it's so wonderful to be with you this Sunday morning as we begin this sermon series that will introduce us to four of the main themes at the very heart of Christmas. The holiday season and so much of what we hear and see, the trees and the treats and the tinsel, can easily distract us away from what really matters. And that's Jesus. During this series, we'll look at these four themes to discover how they lead us to the heart of Christmas. And today, I want us to discover from the Word of God the hope that comes through the birth of Jesus Christ. I am sure today that we could all use a little hope. Hope appears in different forms during the Christmas season. I think of how some fill out Christmas wish lists and they give those wish lists to people they know will buy them gifts. How many of you have ever done this with family or with children or friends? Have them turn over a, a wish list. And that person who gives the Christmas wish list to a spouse or to a parent or even a friend, maybe grandchildren to grandparents, those people who give the list wait with anticipation all Christmas season. They watch as the packages begin to appear under the tree, and they're looking at the size, they're looking at the shape, hoping beyond hope that they'll see something that's the right size, the right shape, to be that special gift they put on their list. And then as they open gifts on Christmas Day, they excitingly open the packages, hoping to find that present that they desire. When they find it, all their hopes are realized. If they don't, all their hopes are dashed. And that's just one way that we can see hope appear during this Season, But the true reason hope is at the heart of Christmas is not because of gifts. Not gifts that appear under a Christmas tree. But it's because of the birth of Jesus Christ. His arrival to earth fulfilled prophecies spoken hundreds of years before his birth. And one of the prophecies found in Isaiah chapter 9, which is where we'll be this morning is one of the most well-known passages shared during this time of year. 
We're going to read this morning Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. Notice what God's word tells us. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now I want you to prepare yourself because we're going to take some time to really set up the text today. You have to understand, coming into Isaiah chapter 9, what the whole of the book of Isaiah is about and what leads up to this point. The prophet Isaiah lived and served God during the reigns of four kings. One of them was the wicked king Ahaz. During his reign, the northern kingdom of Israel allied with the kingdom of Syria. And they did so to invade and seek to conquer the southern kingdom of Judah. And rather than trusting God as Isaiah challenged him to do, by the way, that's what we read about in Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. The prophet Isaiah showed up in King Ahaz's court and challenged him, don't be afraid of Israel and Syria. Trust God. He's given us victory before And he will do so again. But rather than trusting God, King Ahaz sent a large amount of money to the Assyrians. Don't get them mixed up with Syria. They're different. And asked them to come and protect Judah. And this was actually the avenue by which the Assyrian Empire came in invaded Israel, defeated Israel, and took Israel into captivity. As Isaiah saw all this happening, he saw the Assyrian storm on the horizon and believed that one day they would then turn on Judah. And so he saw dark days ahead for God's people. But he also preached hope. Isaiah is a 
a book with 66 chapters in our Bibles. And it serves like a miniature Bible. The first 39 39 chapters, think the Old Testament, which has 39 books, identify the failures of man, especially the covenant unfaithfulness of Israel and Judah and the judgment that will come because of it. And then the second half of the book, the last 27 chapters, think the 27 books of the New Testament, identify hope for the fallen, judged world. Isaiah declares a Messiah is coming. Even Isaiah's name, which comes from the Hebrew Yesha Yahu and the shortened form Yeshaiah, means the Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Chapters 1 and 2 of Isaiah serve as an overview of the entire book. They describe the sin and failure, the judgment coming but then the restoration that God will bring through the promised king. The rest of the book then revisits those themes, filling in more and more details. As we jump to Isaiah chapter 6, we find Isaiah speaking of Israel as a tree that is cut down, and it leaves just a dead, dried-up stump. However, in Isaiah 6.13, Isaiah says of that dried dead stump that there remains a holy seed it's a glimmer of hope and then in chapters 7 through 12 isaiah further explores this hint of hope found in the holy seed isaiah 7 declares the holy seed will be this the seed of the virgin behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son it's the holy seed that is found in isaiah 6 13 he'll be emmanuel god with us and then chapter 9 our passage today declares a king who is identified with and connected with god who will rule in justice and peace and then as you go further ahead to chapter 11 Isaiah connects this holy seed, the virgin-born child who is Emmanuel, God with us, who is connected with God, who will rule and reign in justice and peace. Isaiah 11 connects him all the way back to that dried, dead stump in Isaiah 6, that holy seed. And in Isaiah 11, Isaiah declares that he will grow as a rod, a shoot, new life out of that dead, dried up stump. What is Isaiah declaring through all of that? There's hope. There's hope. You see, like Israel, this world is fallen, broken. This world is destined for judgment. But in the midst of a broken, fallen world destined for judgment, God gives hope. The end of chapter 8 of Isaiah concludes with a people void of light. As you read the last verses of Isaiah chapter 8, you find a people who are sitting in darkness, who are sitting in a place of oppression. 
And what we find out is that they are in distress. It's a horrible scene. But then suddenly, these people who were void of light see a great light. Right in the middle of their darkness, light appears. And just when everything seemed hopeless, hope bursts onto the scene. It was at that time that Ahaz ruled Judah, and again the Assyrians came in and destroyed Israel at his request. But later on, following Isaiah's life, sometime later, Assyria would come in and would just obliterate the southern kingdom of Judah, taking them into captivity. But in the midst of these events, God sent Isaiah to Ahaz to call him to trust the Lord. He didn't listen, and judgment would come. And yet, hope lived. Hope was still present. The promise of the coming Messiah provided hope to those living in the gloom of darkness. And as we enter this Christmas season, let's remember that we also experience the darkness of sin. We live in a world that has, has sin that has wreaked havoc on all of creation. And today, as you enter this Christmas season, you might be in darkness. You might be looking at the events and circumstances of your life you might be looking at the events and the circumstances of the world around you and see only darkness. Your present and your future may be filled with darkness. But listen to me. The fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah provides us with hope when we experience anything that comes from darkness. I want you to think about it this way we have had around our community especially if you go out west towards nashville on sunset when it becomes eastern a lot of road construction some of you remember several years back when 301 had lanes closed it seemed like every day for months even into years as they were doing the bridge at sunset over 301 and so on it's a little irritating, isn't it, when you're trying to get somewhere to deal with traffic caused by road construction. Have you ever driven north or south on I-95 when there have been lanes closed because of road construction? And what happens when there's much traffic at all? It slows way down, doesn't it? I mean, you're doing the right thing going along 95, doing 70 miles an hour. Or some of us aren't. We're going a little faster and then suddenly you see those signs. Road construction, 13 miles ahead. And you're like, oh boy. And you get there and now it's road construction, 10 miles ahead, 8 miles ahead. And you start seeing the flickering red lights. And they're not Christmas lights. They're brake lights. And you know what that means. We're still 6 miles from the lane closure and we're slowing down. It's irritating to deal with, isn't it? But what happens when the construction is all done? You have a nice, freshly paved road, hopefully. 
that's a little smoother to drive on, a little more pleasant to drive on. And during all of that construction, you weren't thinking about that. You were just thinking about the slowdowns. You were just thinking about the traffic. You were just thinking about having to be in one lane with everybody else. But when it's all finished, it's nice, isn't it? To drive on that freshly paved road. You know, in a lot of ways, as we walk through life, we can experience that same kind of discontent with things as they are in the present. We deal with the, the trouble. We deal with the difficulties that life encompasses that, that come into our lives because of sin and the darkness. But we can look at the promises of the Bible as a reminder that with God... Our futures are always brighter. We can have hope in the future because we know that we have an eternal home full of richness and peace. And so this Christmas season invites us not to look at the trees and the treats and the tinsel and all that goes with it as the heart of what this season's about. But Christmas invites us to look at the hope we have in Jesus. And so how can we find hope this Christmas season? As we dive into Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, we'll learn how we can find hope this Christmas season. I want you to simply consider number one, this truth, darkness threatens hope. Darkness threatens hope as we look at isaiah chapter 8 and 9 we find that israel's situation was bad but it was going to get worse you've been there in life haven't you things are bad i mean it might just be a day you're having a bad day and you have this thought, it could not possibly get any worse. And what happens within about 10 seconds of that thought usually? It gets worse, doesn't it? You might be having a bad year, and you think this year could not possibly get any worse. And what happens that day? It gets worse. That happens in life, doesn't it? We've all been there. We've all experienced that. We've all had that thought followed by it getting worse. All of us have. And that's what was going on for Israel. Because of sin and failure, judgment was coming. The situation covered their entire lives, thoughts and circumstances like a thick darkness. Look at chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, and look at what Isaiah says about it. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass, when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves, and curse their king and their God, and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, notice, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Do you know what Isaiah is talking about there? He's saying Israel thought it was bad. 
And they had this thought, it can't possibly get any worse. And guess what? It got worse. They looked to the king for help. There was no help to be found. Don't miss this. The end of verse 21, they looked up to heaven and God and didn't find any help. They looked to the earth. Where can we find help in the earth? They made an alliance with Assyria thinking, there's our help. But guess what? It wasn't helpful. Here these people were in darkness, dimness, anguish. The description of that verse 22 identifies oppression, trouble, and distress, primarily coming from uh, unfavorable circumstances that produce emotional pain, depression, and dejection of spirit. That's where they were. And what does the end of verse 22 say? They thought it was dark then. Then it says they were what? Driven to darkness. They thought this is terrible. They were already in a state that, that was left them dejected, that left them depressed and distressed, and they thought this is bad, it can't get any worse. And just when they thought it can't get any worse, it can't get any darker than this, they were driven further into the darkness. No matter what they attempted to do to help themselves, the situation just grew darker. Do you know what happens when we experience that darkness threatens any hope that we have? Any hope that we have that it'll be better. Any hope that we have that God's not going to leave me here like this. Any hope that we have that, that something is going to happen. God's going to show up that we're going to be able to experience improvement. That we're going to be able to progress any hope that we have of that as things just get worse and worse and worse, that hope is threatened. We begin to despair. We begin to feel hopeless. And that describes the world as a whole. It connects with where we live today with what Israel faced at that time. We experience a world of brokenness that is dark and corrupt because of sin. Look around. What do you see around you in our world? War, disease, conflict, oppression. You see these things going on in the world around us. And where does that come from? Sin. The darkness that is in our world because of sin and when we experience that, not just way out there, but close to home in our personal lives, that darkness threatens any hope that we have. Have you felt hopeless in any situation before? Have you had some experiences this year that have left you feeling hopeless? Like, you were in darkness. I've always found it interesting as I have dealt with people who are experiencing depression or as I've studied the subject of depression. It's interesting 
that people who are experiencing depression often, as they're looking out at life, a word they'll use to describe it is it's dark. And often people who are experiencing depression, guess what they'll often resort to? Staying in a room with all the lights out, shades over the windows, a room completely dark. Interesting. Darkness threatens hope. But I want to move on quickly to number two, because you understand that. You've been there. You've experienced it. But notice this, secondly, though darkness threatens hope, hope thrives in darkness. You say, Pastor, that seems contradictory, doesn't it? Well, I want you to think about something this morning. Though darkness may threaten hope, darkness cannot overwhelm the hope that the Christmas season is all about. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Darkness cannot defeat God. Darkness cannot defeat truth. Darkness never conquers light. I love, in John chapter 1, John discusses that truth of light and darkness. The true center of Christmas focuses squarely on the message of hope that Isaiah proclaimed to Israel. Isaiah shared the truth. It's dark, and it's going to get darker. You think it can't get any worse, King Ahaz and people of Judah? It can and will get Worse, but he also proclaims a message of hope, and that message of hope centers on a child born, a son given. And the reality of darkness contrasted with hope is that darkness, though it threatens hope, cannot destroy hope. In truth, Darkness provides hope a place to thrive and grow. Say, I'm not sure I understand that. Think of an old gospel song that contrasts darkness and light. It says something like this. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. Isn't that true? Have you ever walked into a completely dark place and lit a candle? A candle doesn't put off a lot of light. And if I were to bring a candle into this room that's already bright today, that candle might attract your attention but it really wouldn't accomplish a lot because there's already so much light in this room. But if we were to shut out all the lights in here, if we were to block off any source of light coming into the room, which wouldn't be too difficult since we're on the interior part of the building, block out the doors over there and that fan thing above the doors, if we were to do all that, and then I were to light a candle, what would happen? Immediately, every eye would be drawn to that candlelight, right? 
You wouldn't look up at the corner and go, wow, look at the shadow up there. You wouldn't look down at the floor and go, man, I, I still can't hardly see the floor. Every eye would be drawn to the candle and your thought would be, wow, how much brighter it is in here with just a single candle. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, Paul wrote these words, And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. But then he says this, But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In other words, Paul is saying this, if you don't have really any reason to have hope, if you're in a situation where everything is wonderful, if we were living in a world today that is not clearly broken because of sin, if we were living in a world where everything was perfection and our lives were great and our lives were easy, everything we set out to do we accomplished above what we hoped for, Paul says there's no reason for hope. But we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where our bodies and the world itself is groaning desiring the redemption that salvation promises. But it is that very condition that allows hope a place to grow and thrive. So what do I need to do with that? Do not succumb to the threat of darkness. Do not give in to the belief that there is no hope. That as I go into this Christmas season, everything is dark, and I don't think it could get any worse, but I've thought that before, and it just did get worse. And I'll tell you this morning, truthfully, you might be having that thought right now, it can't get any worse, and truthfully, it may get worse for you. But don't give in to the threat of darkness that there is no hope. Hope is alive and well. Instead of succumbing to the threat darkness produces on hope, let darkness be the place where your hope grows and thrives. And then I want you to see thirdly and finally, well, where does that hope come from? God provides the hope we need. In Isaiah chapter 9, as he wrote about this place of darkness, and it's going to get worse, you're going to be driven even further into darkness. Isaiah records that in the darkest situation, a great light sprang up. He mentions here the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali. What's going on here? These are the northernmost areas of Israel. And when Assyria came in from the northeast... They came first through these areas of Zebulun and Naphtali. These were the areas most ravished and first conquered by an enemy force. 
These were the people first under the captivity of their enemies. In the same manner, these were the areas to first see and experience the great light as Isaiah prophesied. Matthew's gospel record applies these verses to Jesus. Matthew 4, 13 through 16, the Bible says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, in the borders of Zebulun and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Jesus fulfilled the hope that Isaiah saw about 700 years earlier, even as Isaiah saw the coming storm. Those who had been able to only see darkness would rejoice to see the great light like Isaiah 9, 3, reapers after a bountiful harvest. Isaiah 9, 4, prisoners delivered from bondage, I'll get it out, and oppression. And Isaiah 9, 5, soldiers laying down their arms after the victory had been won. Isaiah says that's what the coming of Jesus would be like. Reapers who go out and have a great harvest. Those who are in print, prison and in bondage of oppression being delivered. Soldiers who have been fighting and fighting and fighting being able to lay down their arms because victory has come. What produced such a transformation from people in darkness and in the shadow of death? Well, it's the truth of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's what caused the transformation. Jesus came. The center of the Christmas story focuses squarely on the birth of Jesus. He fulfills the Israelites' hope that God would push back the darkness and shine a bright light into the world. Again, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. I've shared with you before, that old word, comprehended, does not simply mean an understanding. It, it could not understand the light. The word also carries the idea of defeat, conquer. Here's the truth John shares. The darkness cannot overcome the light. No matter how dark it is in this world, no matter how dark it is in your life, 
Isaiah, as he penned this prophecy, saw that one day in the scripture, God would bring a great light and salvation through the birth of a child. And it was hundreds of years later that Jesus came, was born in Bethlehem, the very presence of God on earth. He came to live the life that we cannot because he was perfect. He died the death that we deserve because we're sinners. He rose to life on the third day because... He's the almighty God. And he offers you forgiveness of sin, destruction of evil, and the promise of eternal life. So why do we read Isaiah's prophecy each year during Christmas? Is it just to remind us that God promised Jesus? Or is it because of what we receive from it? You see, as we see the faithfulness of God in the past, it gives us the deep and abiding hope in the present and unwavering trust in the future. God made a promise, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, in the past, that 700 years later came to be. And for me, I can look at those truths in the Word of God when God said, I will do this, and he did it. And by the way, if you can go to the word of God and find any time when God said, I will do this, and he didn't do it, please share it with me because I've not found it yet. What does that do for me? It gives me hope. Trust. That no matter what I'm facing in my life, no matter what I'm dealing with in the present, no matter what I fear about the future, I have a God in heaven whose word is true, whose promises are faithful, whose character is unchanging, and I can have hope. Though darkness threatens the hope that I have, I can place my hope and faith in God the Father and in his Son Jesus Christ because he keeps his promises. I don't have to fear. The Apostle Paul made an appeal for hope to those who trust in Christ as he wrote a letter to the early church in Rome. Here's what he said in Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. What's he talking about? Old Testament. Those things were written for our learning. We can get benefit from them. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And what does Paul say that profit is here in Romans 15 verse 4? That we, through patience, we have to endure, and comfort of the scriptures might have what? might have what? Hope. I can look at a prophecy like Isaiah 9. Israel, it's dark, and it's going to get darker yet. But trust God, someday a great light is going to spring up. It did. His name was Jesus. Today, friend, you might be experiencing the darkness of this world, the darkness of life in your own life. 
And you may have even had the thought at times, it's dark, it can't get any worse than this, and then it does. And that darkness threatens your hope, but cling to the truth today that darkness cannot destroy your hope in truth. Darkness is where hope grows and thrives. God is the one who gives you hope. And so through endurance, through comfort of the truths of the word of God, that he is faithful to his word, that he is faithful to his promises, that his character does not change, that he will neither leave you nor forsake you. You can cling to the promises of God. And this Christmas season, even if your life is dark, even if you're experiencing darkness today, you can have Though there are many distractions during this Christmas season, this message reminds us that hope is offered to us through Jesus' arrival at the manger. Remember, our God is always right on time. He knows exactly what we need, and he can be trusted to reveal the light of Christ in order to push the darkness back in our lives. In a land full of deep darkness, a light has indeed dawned. I invite you today to express your hope in God by bringing him the things that are heavy on your heart. If you're a child of God, a follower of Christ, that's where you are today. Find hope this Christmas through trusting God for the, fu- for the present and future based upon his faithfulness in the past. Put your hope in God. And then perhaps here in this auditorium or listening, there is someone who does not know Christ. Can I share with you that the hope you need this Christmas won't come through presents, through programs, through pleasures, through places, through people, through parties, or even through performance. It comes through a person, and his name is Jesus. Believe on him and receive the greatest gift you could ever receive. One of the early explorers of South Africa's ocean waters, a man whose name I cannot pronounce. He went around one of the capes during a storm, and the sea was rough. And as he went around that cape, his ship was was threatened to go and be broken in pieces, and so he named that cape the Cape of Storms. Years later, another explorer who was sailing in that same area changed the name to the Cape of Good Hope. For he saw what was ahead at the end of his voyage. Rather than focusing on the storms of the present in that place, he looked ahead. And in the same way, friends, if you wish, if I wish... We can look at what is going on in this life right now, what's going on in in my life, in my circumstances, in the events that I'm facing right now, and we can call this life a life of storms if we want. Or we can look ahead to the glorious redemption of eternity 
and call this life what we can only call it in Christ, a life of good hope. What are you going to choose to do today? At the heart of Christmas, you will find hope bundled up in the form of a baby lying in a manger whose name is Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with this morning? How many this morning, by raise of hand to attest, as a testimony to the Lord, would say, Pastor, I needed to be reminded today of the hope that I have in Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Many hands all over the room. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord. If that's you this morning, friend, I want to encourage you when the invitation is given in just a moment to commit to the Lord. Lord, though it's dark, the world around me is dark. There are some things in my life right now that are dark, close to home. But I'm not going to give in to the threat of darkness. I'm not going to live hopeless. I'm going to allow this place of darkness to be the place where my hope grows and thrives as I look not to, not to the things of this world that Christmas means, but as I look to the true meaning of Christmas, hope found in the person of Jesus would you make that commitment today? And then for you, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether here in this auditorium or watching or listening. Can I share with you today, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how dark the world seems to you, the light of salvation is found in Jesus. Today, come and believe on him and experience the hope of salvation through Christ. 